Hi, I'm Jay Moore, and I am the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Get ready, because we are about to embark on another episode of On Screen and Beyond, episode 389 of the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with the guests from the movie, TV, or music industry. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this week, Jay Moore is going to be stopping by to talk to us and fill us in on his new album called Happy and a Lot. And that's going to be coming up in a few minutes. Of course, Jay was in the movie Jerry Maguire. He played Bob Sugar in that one. He's a stand-up comedian. He was in the show Gary Unmarried, Ghost Whisperers, and so many other things. We're going to talk about all that, and it's coming up in a few minutes. Jay Moore, right here on On Screen and Beyond. We have something very special this week. We're stepping away from our normal format, and we are bringing you the 2015 Holiday Gift-Giving Guide for Blu-ray and DVD lovers and it's coming up in just a moment on On Screen and Beyond. We've got so many things to get into. We're going to give you an idea of what you can pick up as far as great DVD box sets. Now, all kinds of other things are out, of course, but we're going to give you some of these great box sets that you can get. And if you've got a movie lover out there or a uh, TV show lover, and of course, if you're listening to the show, that's what you do. So we're going to give you an idea of what you can get. All right. So why don't we get ready for that? It's next, right here, the 2015 Holiday Gift-Giving Guide for Blu-ray and DVD lovers everywhere, right here on On Screen and Beyond. This is it, the 2015 Holiday Gift-Giving Guide for DVD and Blu-ray lovers. These are special DVDs that uh, give you the complete box sets of some of the greatest TV shows that uh, we've had. And uh, we're going to give you uh, just a few of them. Like I say, there's hundreds out there. As far as DVDs and Blu-rays that have been released, but these are a few of the special ones that have been boxed or are great shows that uh, have come out. Star Trek, the original series, 25-disc set. Now, it's been out before, but they've dropped the price tremendously. You want to check this out. And the I Love Lucy complete series on a 33-disc set, nine seasons, 194 episodes. Another one they dropped the price on a lot. Californication, the complete series, a 14-disc set with David Duchovny. McHale's Navy, the complete series, 21-disc set with Ernest Borgnine and Tim Conway. I love that show, and it's a classic TV right there. And Mission Impossible, the original series. Now, we've seen all the movies that uh, Tom Cruise has made and everything, but this is the original TV show that it all came from. They've got it out on a 40-disc set, and it stars Peter Graves. Leonard Nimoy is even in this one. And let's see, over at Time Life, Time Life has a history of making some great box sets like Get Smart and also The Man from Uncle. I, I actually have it down in my theater, too. It's a great, great series of, of TV shows, episodes that they had. They boxed it into like a, an espionage uh, case that, you know, the guys would always handcuffed to themselves and things like that. It's a great set, so if you ever get that one, that's a good one. But they've got another one. They're continuing what they're doing. 
then first off, starting off with the Great American Dream Machine. And now this is a PBS show that was on. And uh, it was uh, sort of before Laugh-In and, you know, sort of like that, Monty Python-ish. And, and it's sort of a mix of everything, not politically correct, that type of thing. But uh, it had Andy Rooney, Albert Brooks, Henry Winkler, Chevy Chase, uh, Charles Grodin, who was a best guest here at On Screen Beyond, Penny Marshall, Linda Lavin. All these people and more, many more, are all in here on this set. It's a four-disc set. Check that one out. It's a great one. Okay, it's a, Like you say, it's a little quirky, uh, and it has some great interviews in it and everything, so you want to check that one out. Also from Time Life, the Hee Haw Collection, and it uh, comes in a couple of different versions, and uh, one's an eight-disc eight set. And uh, let's see, Midnight Special, 11-disc sets. Now, this show, I loved it when it was originally on. used to watch this every Saturday night, and they had uh, so many rock groups. Aerosmith was on there, ACDC. It just went on and on and on. And this collection is uh, it, it's a great collection, 11-disc set, like I said. It's got 133 songs and uh, so many, five hours of bonus material and everything. Check that out. That's a great one. A lot of history and music. If you love music, that's a good one to get. And Mr. Warmth, Don Rickles, The Ultimate Collection. It's uh, four uncut TV specials and season one and two, the complete series, 37 episodes of CPO Sharky. So uh, that's that's a great one, too. And uh, let's see, The Carol Burnett Show, The Lost Episodes. And now this goes from Season 1 to Season 5. They have two versions out, I believe, of it. And you want to check that out because uh, they're Carol Burnett Show. What more can I say? It's a great show. And now, one of what I consider to be the ultimate uh, one I'm going to be talking about, because a lot of these, they're the complete sets and everything, and they're they're great shows, and I'm not denying that. But The Wonder Years, the complete series, has been packaged in uh, three different versions, I think it was. But uh, one of the versions is uh, just the collection with the, in a slipcase, you know, which is great to have. But they've come out with one that is called uh, The Wonder Years, the complete series. And it's in a collectible Locker. Now, this is a metal locker, almost like what you had when you were in school. Of course, a miniaturized version of it. But it's it's great. It's got 115 episodes, 26 DVDs, and over 23 hours of bonus features, two notebooks with detailed episode information, a replica yearbook with behind-the-scenes photos and signatures by the cast and crew, and it's all housed in that collectible metal locker. Now, this is just a great collection, and, and they package it so well, and it's something that you don't want to miss because um, I'm, I'm sure this is a, you know, this is a collector's item. You know, there's no question about it. And, of course, The One Years was a great show. We've had some people from the show on here at On Screen and Beyond, and you can go back to our reruns page, and you can hear those episodes. And uh, it's a, some interesting things. So... That's it. That is our 2015 holiday gift-giving guide for Blu-ray and DVD lovers. And uh, those are just a few, like I said, that you can pick up. And if you, uh, these are not stocking stuffers, believe me, because, you know, the prices on them are a little bit uh, uh, above what, uh, you know, the uh, $20 or the $15 DVD 
but these are complete collections, so they're a little more, obviously they would be, but uh, some of them had been greatly reduced, so you want to check those out, and then also some of them are great collections. I mean, they're just something that you want to have. So if you have somebody who is very much into any of these shows, be sure to have uh, them check it out or surprise them with a great gift. All right, that's it. It's uh, coming up next on On Screen and Beyond. It's TV and entertainment time. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX is The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. TV and entertainment time. Well, a remake of Lost in Space TV show is in the works over at Netflix. And we can only hope that it captures the appeal of the classic original. We'll see. The TV, the movie wasn't that great, but uh, we'll see if they can do this. And FX's The Bastard Executioner has been canceled, and there's going to be no season two. It's uh, just over. That's it for TV and entertainment time. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's Celebrity Birthdays. We baked you a birthday cake. If you get it to me, and you moan and groan and woe, don't forget we told you so. Celebrity birthdays. It looks like on November 22nd, Scarlett Johansson turns 31. And on November 23rd, Miley Cyrus turns 23. November 24th, Pete Best, former drummer for the Beatles, turns 74. November 25th, it looks like Christina Applegate turns 44. November 26th, Tina Turner turns 76. And November 27th, Bill Nye, the science guy, turns 60. And on November 28th, Jon Stewart turns 53. That's it for celebrity birthdays. As far as listener birthdays, Amy M. of uh, Newport, Rhode Island, turns 48 on November 27th. And that's it for celebrity and listener birthdays. If you, a friend, or a relative are having a birthday, send the information to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and we will get everybody around the world listening to On Screen and Beyond to wish you a very happy birthday. That's it. What do you say? Jay Moore is coming our way. Jay, of course, was uh, Bob Sugar in Jerry Maguire. He's uh, done comedy all over the place, all over the world, I'm sure. And his show, Gary Unmarried, you can remember him from that, Ghost Whisperers, and so many other films. And he's got some great stuff coming our way. He's got a new album out called Happy. And a lot. And Jay Moore is next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Today on On Screen and Beyond, our guest is a comedian and actor who we have seen in many movies and TV shows, including Jerry Maguire, Pay It Forward, The Ghost Whisperer, and Gary Unmarried. He has a new comedy album out called Happy and a Lot. It's Jay Moore. Jay, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Brian, how are you? So nice to talk to you, my friend. Jay, new album out. Tell us about this. How did you come about uh, deciding to put one out now? 
this is actually my first one, which I think is weirder than having one out at all, is the fact that it took me this long to actually release something. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We um, recorded a great special. I say we because it's written by my wife. Mm-hmm. And we just thought, you know what? This, uh, this should be not only... Um, you know, we just wanted to record it and put it out so people can enjoy it and all the money can go to charity. You know, uh, it was just time, I guess. Overdue, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. And, yeah, like you was, uh, I just want to mention, too, what you just said, that uh, some of the proceeds are going to be going, or the proceeds will be going to um, uh, Right Girl, I believe, correct? Yeah, W-R-I-T-E, like you write a show, Right Girl, Los Angeles, and... Um, yeah, all the proceeds go to charity. And the thing, uh, Brian, is if you go to my website, jmore.com, you can buy it uh, using any platform you want because I didn't realize this till I was promoting my podcast. Like some people aren't, they'll, they'll tweet me like, hey, I don't do iTunes or I don't do this. So if you go to jmore.com, you can get it in any, you know, you can go to bandcamp.whatever.org or common. You can go to iTunes any way you want it. I got it for you, as Journey sings, <laughs> and uh, it's at jmore.com, and all the proceeds go to uh, charity. That's great. That's that's really nice of you to do that. That's uh, that's really cool. Now, well, you know, I, you make a good living doing stand-up comedy, and it's an album written by a, a, a beautiful, intelligent, brilliant woman, and why not uh, help other brilliant, intelligent women? Uh, get a little nudge in the creative writing department that they don't have resources for themselves. And maybe this, you know, this, uh, the sales of this album could help a lot of writing programs across the country. I hope. Yeah. Yeah. Now, just in case people don't know, your wife is Nikki Cox, right? Yes. She better be when I get home. (laughs) That's who better be standing there, right? (laughs) You know, what's strange is she's an insomniac and we finally found the benefit to being an insomniac. And that is you can just write all night and I'll wake up uh, because I sleep like the dead and she will hand me a notebook. And at the top of the page, it'll say similar hates. And just that title, it piques my interest. And then I read it and it's perfect. Now, I don't usually tour the country just doing my wife's uh, material. It was just this particular hour was perfect. And the way it was structured and put together, and there were so many callbacks. And it became almost like uh, I was in a play, and I got nervous about missing a line. Because if I miss a line, Brian, uh, at all, six minutes of material, I lose on the back end because I lose the callback because I did it out of order. So it was almost like doing a mammoth play. Hmm. <laughs> now, now, is, it, did she completely write this, or do you sort of like you know do like a Lennon and McCartney type thing where you're throwing material back and forth at each other? No, she throws the material, and I go out and do it. And if uh, the things that I wrote are tags, um, you know, I'll tag bits. If you're not in comedy, tag just means adding to. Okay. Uh, but I never would have been down that. Uh, Boulevard to begin with had she not come up with the entire concept or the title track on the album. I mean, there's a whole run on the best way. There's a run on irony that people have really tweeted and emailed me about. Yes, I do answer all my own emails. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a whole long run about irony and how I do not have any irony in my body. Irony is like uh, this 
this gross thing that hipsters cling to something so bad that it's good and something so absurd that it's great. And I tried it verbatim. I came home one night. I said, the irony bit isn't working. And she's, I said, it's got to come out. And my wife said, no, you're limping into it. It will work. You're not selling it. You're an actor. Act like it's as good as I know it can be. Like, she kind of really <laughs> took me out to task for it. And she was right because it's really intelligent, the whole run on irony. And it's long and it has to go in a very particular order. And she was right. I was limping into it because I'd never, she's much smarter than I am. And I never written things that smart. It's Carlin esque. And I say that without mm -hmm. any hesitation or. Uh, pause. I know that'll hit people's ear like, oh, really? Yeah, listen to it. It's it perfectly structured and written so well. So the next time I did it was the special. There was no show between when I told her it's not working and she said, oh, no way. It will work. Wow. Just sell it. Uh, so then I walk on stage in Santa Barbara, sold it, and it's what people seem to like the most. Hmm. Now, was she in the audience when you did that? No, we have a... Uh, four-year-old boy at home and we're very anti-anti-nanny uh, uh, we, we like to be very hands-on and you know there's nothing she can really do except applause uh, once I'm out there it's uh, a high wire act mm -hmm. yeah yeah so she's not sitting there uh, making sure you've said every single word that she told you to say right <laughs> No, but she, we would go over it. I would come back when I was getting it down because it's about an hour and a half and you have to smush it down. You have to keep peeling the onion and get it down to about 58 minutes for television, including credits on both sides. Mm -hmm. And things get stripped away, stripped away, stripped away. And the only thing she would, I don't want to say critique, the only thing she was really concerned about was words going in very specific order. And that's... Uh, that was really fun. I mean, and she's right. She was completely right about certain words and the way a certain uh, phrase had to be had to go a certain way. She was absolutely correct. And I'm look the album. I really uh, think speaks for itself. It's not good. It's great. Mm. And if that sounds showboaty, you know, I'll, that's fine with me because it is great. It is. I, I've heard a lot of comedy albums. I'm a comic. It's my job. It's my business. And this is really a standalone. I'm so super proud of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you'd have me worried if you were standing here saying, you know, oh, it's horrible. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, that's a, that's the rep on comics, right? Is that we're all like uh, we all hate our lives and we're all so uh, right. depressed. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. It's okay, I guess. Like, no, this is great. I would I wouldn't release it. I mean, I've done specials before that I love, and this one was. I mean, I remember walking off stage at Santa Barbara when we filmed it, and as I walked off stage on the drive home, thinking, that, that has to be an album. Like, that's really, I just love the way, it, there's just so many callbacks. Like, nothing is a standalone. It's not jokes. It's a lot of stories. It's all things that actually happened to us. Um, her grandmother gave us, we always used to get her, before our child, we always used to get our uh, marijuana from her grandma, Grandma Helen. <laughs> But there was a little switcheroo that Grandma Helen didn't tell us. Uh, she had, at one point, uh, she's fine now, she had bone cancer and she beat it. But they gave her palliative care, because I thought she was going to die. They gave her palliative care marijuana. 
and she gave us the marijuana, but we didn't know that she had switched brands to, hey, you're going to die. Smoke this so you don't feel anything on the way out. <laughs> and uh, we were like crippled people. We sat in a hotel room in Las Vegas for a couple hours, Brian. And then it had to have been two hours, and my wife just looked up at me and said, did I say that out loud? And I said, I don't know. And we were we were panic-stricken because there's no worse high than a surprise high like when you're at a baseball game and your friend says, hey, you didn't eat that entire cookie, did you? And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, you handed me a cookie. Oh, that's like 40 joints. And you go, okay, why does the pitcher keep looking at me? What's happening? Uh, but we uh, we decided to go to the Liberace Museum uh, because we thought it would be funny and ironic. And in the uh, album, there's a uh, few instances of in my grown-up life where uh, my wife and I have... Uh, gone out and done something ironically you know to be hip and cool and funny and make fun of everything and it's completely fitness in our ass hmm. Liberace Museum being one of them <laughs> well it sounds like it's it's a, it's a funny album that's for sure sounds like you didn't listen to it yet no I haven't no I, 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 I'm going to be honest with <laughs> no, you I haven't heard it <laughs> no I would much rather you be honest and be a, a phony that's why I, I, I like you Brian because you're not a phony you're just straight <laughs> Now, um, having your wife work with you, uh, is that something that you've done in the past, or is this something totally new, or how, how you know, how's we that We did work? it a lot in the past, and we've done it a lot in the past, but this is the first time she's gotten the credit she deserves. When I did Gary Unmarried, mm-hmm. we would do scenes, I would go back to my dressing room, and my wife would hand me this script that I had earlier in the day, with just... I don't know, a dozen jokes um, and say, try these. And then in between take two or three or four, when they let you kind of, you know, do one for fun, as they say, I would do my wife's line. The place would go nuts. And that would be the take that they would keep. (laughs) So we put a reel together between season one and two to try to get my wife on the writing staff. And they said, well, you can't really prove that she wrote them. And we were like, no, we actually did. We This is the real of the joke. Like, we know it. We have the the paper. And regardless, it didn't work out. The show got canceled after season two anyway. And she's written a lot of things uh, for me in the past. Tonight's show appearances, she's completely uh, done for me when I've run out of material, <laughs> usually. So the quick answer is yes. But this is the first time she's getting the credit she deserves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you're awful busy because you you have uh, your stand-up comedy, your acting, and you're also, you know, of course, a dad. Uh, you know, I don't want to take that away from you. You're, you're a dad. And uh, you've also got your radio show still? Yeah, Jay Moore Sports. Jay Moore uh, Sports. JayMooreSports.com. It's yeah. Honestly, but then your city, nationally syndicated. Yeah. But I'll tell you what I'm most proud of is the podcast, More Stories. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that one. For for three years, we've just been chugging along. No talent booker, no overhead, um, just a card table in my garage. And we've gotten some of the greatest, uh, I think, recorded conversations in history. Me and Charlie Sheen. Nobody ever asked Charlie Sheen about acting. Everybody wants to, this is a couple summers ago, but everybody wants to, you know, talk about tiger blood and Mm -hmm. (laughs) winning and all that stuff. Nobody ever said well, the set of Platoon, what was that like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nobody ever asked Jay Leno 
about comedy. I mean, you know, Brian, you interview people for a living. Is there any recorded document, audio proof that Jay Leno ever, any, nobody's ever asked this man about stand-up comedy, and he's on the Mount Rushmore of American comics. So right, yeah. Rufus Wainwright, David Lee Roth, Bootsy Collins had great stories about playing with James Brown, and mostly uh, comics and dear friends. I've had my priest on, <laughs> my Uncle Dan, my wife has been on, my manager has been on a lot, because he, uh, he really takes me behind the woodshed and takes me apart when <laughs> I complain on the podcast. Those are must-listens. <laughs> well, i got to tell you, I, I was listening to the one uh, a couple of weeks ago with uh, you and Nikki on, and it was uh, around, I think it was the one that was around uh, uh, Halloween. And yeah, Batman was asleep in a bed upstairs. <laughs> yes, yes. And then you, you were talking about... Uh, Costumes and you, you know the you, the, the schoolgirl thing, and then and then, but then you got into this gorilla thing, and that and and that the, the slutty gorilla, and that threw me off. <laughs> yeah, we talked nonsense better than anybody on earth. <laughs> and I'll tell you this, Brian, and anybody listening, if you want to hear exactly my wife's sense of humor and insides. Um, the episode before that that she did mm-hmm. was very shortly after her mom died and her aunt Christy, who I, my aunt Christy, we don't do the in-law thing. Her family swallowed me whole. My family's on the East Coast and I don't really see them except once a year unless I book stand up on the East Coast and her family gobbled me up. So I never liked the in-law thing. So our aunt Christy, who was a special person special, you know, mm-hmm. uh, no R word ever. Please, anybody listening, strip it from your lexicon. She died in a fire. Oh. Um, and we did a podcast shortly after her mom and her Aunt Christy uh, were dead. And it was, uh, got a lot of feedback on that one of people um, feeling like they, they felt really odd listening to us talk about it the way we were talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's... Uh, I'm happy about it, as happy as you can, a lot, as, ha- right, <laughs> as yeah. happy as you can be having a conversation in a garage about the most awful things that's ever happened to right. your bride and yourself to this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's really shows you the, the sardonic and the, the absolute gallows humor, because if you don't laugh, you will cry and you will not stop when stuff like that happens. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Now, Jay, were you intending to be a comedian when you set out? to get into show business or was it acting or, or what, 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 what was it? What, and what made you go into act or acting and com- uh, comedy? That's the thing. It's two with me and I can't figure out which one I am. <laughs> and I asked buddy Hackett, buddy Hackett once said to me, we're on the set of action. He said, you know, your problem is that you haven't made up your mind yet. Are you a comic or are you an actor? And I said, I'm both. And he went, Hmm. No, you're not. And once you figure out which one you are, you'll be the greatest there ever was. And I still haven't figured it out, so maybe that's why I'm still hovering around in this middle class of show business. (laughs) But I always wanted to be the center of attention, period. Whether at first it was acting, because stand-up comedy to an eight-year-old, you can't really conceptualize it. Mm -hmm. So I would always watch television and reenact scenes I saw in a movie to my friends. Uh, I remember my 
I don't think my parents realized stripes was going to be as foul to an eight-year-old. <laughs> and but they just brought me with them to see stripes, and I was eight. Wow! And I remember uh, going back home to Verona, New Jersey, from the Jersey Shore, and it just had like eight guys gathered in a garage, and I reenacted basically the whole movie for them. To and in hindsight, I realized I was I was doing stand-up, I was doing impressions, I was acting all at once, just in front of my friends, letting them know like you're missing like this giant world off of valley view road there's this enormous thing happening it's called the movies um when i was a teenager i was obsessed with stand-up comedy eventually i did an open mic night for a teenage comedy night at a local comedy club and once i did it it didn't go well obviously but when i walked off stage somebody says uh and this is what's great about stand-up comedy the brotherhood that it is you walk off stage and somebody says, hey, there's another place we go to on Wednesdays. Then you go to that place, and they say, uh, Sunday, we're going up to uh, Troy, New York. And then uh, you go to Troy, New York, and they go, hey, have you ever been to Buffalo? And then all of a sudden, you realize you found your tribe. Because hmm. your whole life, you never really fit in. I always got along with everybody, but didn't really fit in with anybody. I was a wrestler as well. That further separates you from the pack. Yeah. And now suddenly, I just had all these phone numbers of guys that do exactly what I do and have the same goals that I do. And that's just to get on stage and make people laugh. And we share ideas and it became this neat quorum in Congress of guys and gals. And, uh, it was great. And that's, so once stand-up comedy was in front of me, um, I just wanted to work as hard as I could all the time, no matter what. I, I remember driving to Buffalo from New Jersey, eight hours there, eight hours back, senior in high school for a $50 bill hmm. and sitting in first period French class I took a shower went to school and realizing uh, nobody in this classroom the students no student here has a $50 bill and I looked at my French teacher and realized she doesn't have a $50 bill and that's when I officially tuned every teacher out it's a miracle I graduated <laughs> Jerry Maguire, can you tell us about that? How'd you get that part? I auditioned for the role of um, the football player that was played by Jerry O'Connell. Oh, really? And for some reason, my mother and my grand my grandmother was Miss Texas. First, she was Miss Cisco. Then she was Miss Odessa. Then she was Miss Texas. My mother's from Odessa, Texas. I was always around uh, Southern comics. Anthony Clark was a guy that I was very good friends with. And so I just had it. And then for some reason, at the audition, was incapable of doing a Southern accent at all. And I sounded like a fool. <laughs> and I knew it at the time. It was not working. They invited me back to audition to be the male nanny. And during that audition, I got a call back. And then Cameron Crowe pulled me aside before I went to the producers, James Brooks, and uh, the rest of the gang, and he said, listen, uh, the, the part where you explain the Miles Davis, John Coltrane cassette, I said, yeah. He said, that's the easiest thing for me to cut. That's the first thing that will go if I make any cuts. But when you say it, I can't cut it. So just do exactly the worst thing you could say to an actor. Just do exactly what you've been doing. <laughs> and then... I just went in in front of the producers, uh, Richard Sakai and James Brooks, and I completely blew that. But during that audition, uh, while I was blowing it, in between one of the tries, 
James Brooks said, and he looked around the room and he just said, how about sugar? And the hair in the back of my neck stuck up because I realized how amazing uh, the antagonist that he was. Mm -hmm. And I asked them, uh, which in hindsight was kind of ballsy, I said, uh, can I have more time? Like, can I come back another day? Because he deserves to be played completely. I don't want to just learn the lines in the hallway and come back. And it was like a Thursday, Brian. And usually they're like, you know, just go out in the hallway and come back or come back later in the day. And Cameron Crowe said, you want to just come back next week? And I'm like, oh, my, they're going to give me the weekend. Like, they were so gracious with their time and their energy because I'd blown two separate t tries at this. Mm -hmm. So then I went back in as Bob Sugar. I had had four days to just do it, and I got it. <laughs> and what's amazing is, and I found out after the fact, is they had an offer for to Owen Wilson to play Bob Sugar because he did Bottle Rocket with James Brooks, and he was just going to piggyback with James Brooks into the next picture. They had to rescind his offer for me to be Bob Sugar. Wow. And then... I wound up reading David Mamet's book, True and False, about acting, which I can't recommend enough for any actor, anybody that's in any capacity plays. If you're moving scenery wardrobe, read this book, True and False by David Mamet. And he said, when you walk into an audition, you don't, you don't have a shot. They have a list, and after that list, there's the second list. And then there's a worst-case scenario list. And if you were on any of those three lists, you wouldn't be auditioning. You're an impediment. You are bothersome. They're waiting for deals to be done. You have to go in there and really create a problem for these people where their lists no longer really make sense. And I, I, that's, I guess, is what happened. And it was, uh, you know, it's a life-changing role. Like People oh, yeah. still say it. All, hey, Bob Sugar. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, it's the sign of a true actor, I think, is... When you like, you do so many different roles, and you're different in every one. And you can be in one role, and I hate you. <laughs> and and I don't mean I hate you, but you know what I mean. <laughs> then, you, then, you, then you see playing by heart, and you're like, oh, I hope he lives. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's a real actor, and 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 you know, you you really did a good job in in a lot of the different movies. You, Bob Sugar was like, yeah, I want to hit you. <laughs> Yeah, you know, everybody remembers the mean guys. Yeah. Uh, I've played uh, probably twice as many nice guys as mean guys, but you know what? As long as I don't turn into, like, you know, I don't want to, like, be a cartoon mean guy that you just, your go-to mean guy. Right, but yeah. You know what? If uh, I just, Hey, I got, once you have a kid in a mortgage, I'll be, I'll be Rutger Hauer. I don't care. <laughs> I'll, be the, I'll be that guy. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, you've gone on and you've done a lot of other movies. You worked with so many great actors and directors and everything. Uh, is there any one particular that uh, comes to mind that you enjoy doing? Uh, impressions or act working with? Working with in movies. I really loved working with Tom Cruise because 
I mean, I know that's obvious, and I'll give other answers as well, but that was my first movie, and he knew everyone's name, and he, you just knew just from watching Tom that he completely understood that he worked the least out of everybody on the soundstage. Um, he knew everyone's name. He was kind. He was on time. There was no drama. He would uh, share, him and I would share a story. Uh, it, it, my dad and he had raced in the same race at the same time, SCCA racing in the Northeast. And Tom Cruise crashed in that race. And my dad said, ask, uh, ask, he was, you know, kind of goofing off, but he said, hey, ask your buddy Tom Cruise what gear he was in when he crashed at turn two at uh, Bridgestone. And so I asked him, and then he thought about it, he answered, and then two months went by, we're filming at Sun Devil Stadium at night for the football scenes, and I'm standing on the sidelines, and I hear, Jay, Jay, like screaming, and I turn, and Tom Cruise is running at me, and I thought, oh, no, something terrible has happened, <laughs> and I go, hey, what's up, I, and he says, hey, and he gets real close to me, and then he goes, uh, hey, what gear was your dad in when he took turn one? Because he didn't crash. Hmm. I was like, you remember that? Like, I'm, you're Tom Cruise. <laughs> okay. And I said, I'll call him. And then I called my dad, and my dad told me I was either in gear two or gear three. And Tom, I, then I went back like a couple of days later and told Tom the answer. And then he just nodded and goes, that makes sense. That is a tricky turn, man. Wow. I was stunned he remembered that. But he was like that with everybody. Huh. Um, Lane Smith, I did From the Earth to the Moon, uh, and Lane Smith said to me, he saw my trailer door open, we are filming in the woods of Florida, I mean, deep in the woods, and trailers, everybody's kind of smushed together, facing each other, and my clothing was on the floor as I walked out to go back to the hotel, and he said, uh, son, you should hang your clothes up, and I don't know why, but I was like a dick. I said, you know, I don't work in wardrobe. And I just kind of kept walking. And then, without raising his voice, he said, these girls bust their ass. And they're here long before we are. And it was just a sentence that was like a tomahawk in the back of truth. And I just circled back and hung up my clothing. Never really, you know, being a guy, living alone. Right, yeah. Being the only boy. It never dawns on you to clean your own room or anything like that. I always just left it on the ground or on the couch. And then to this day, every time I do anything and I hang my clothes back up, I think to myself, these girls bust their ass. They're here way before I am. Um, little things like that you pick up along the way. Buddy Hackett was great because I met him after I knew everything about comedy. And he sort of, like the old kung fu stories, he just emptied me out and refilled me with strange knowledge. Like, why do you walk to the microphone? When you go on stage, I said, because that's where everybody goes. He said, yeah, don't go to the mic, walk in front of the mic. Um, shake someone's hand in the front row, walk to the other side of the stage, look up if there's a balcony, wave to those people. They paid for parking. Then walk behind the microphone and the entire room will walk behind the microphone with you. Hmm. I'm like, wow, I've never walked to a mic since. Wow. I was in an argument with executives once on a TV show I was doing about something that I thought was funny. And I said, I think I'm right. And he interrupted me. He said, of course you're right. You're dealing with people that won't walk the last 16 feet. I said, what do you mean? He said, 
these guys you're arguing with have balls big enough to hang out backstage and eat all the food and get all the free drinks and shake all the hands they can. But if you told them to walk out in front of that microphone, they wouldn't know what to do. That's only 16 feet. Mm -hmm. They can't do it. You do it every night. Of course you're right. Don't argue anymore. Just do whatever they want and keep going with your life. So it was an amazing piece of advice because I was able to make an enormous concession to these executives creatively, but knowing in my heart of hearts, choose your battles, et cetera, right. and it was okay. Yeah. Um, Walken, that stands out. Any day you spend with Christopher Walken is great. Pacino was a very sweet man and kind. We went to his house because my son played with his twins. My wife made him cupcakes on his birthday, and I don't think anybody really has ever made Al Pacino cupcakes on his birthday. The way he reacted, he was so taken aback and stunned. Hmm. At one point, one of the kids spilled something in his home, like a drink, and my wife just got the paper, you know, like she's a mom. She just got a paper towel, started cleaning it up, and Al, with a mouthful of cupcake, uh, looks at me and goes, she's good. <laughs> like, you couldn't believe it. Um, he's he. Uh, I miss him. I need to reconnect with him now that I'm speaking aloud to you. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, they're all there's a there's a whole bunch. Yeah, but <laughs> those are the ones that really stand out, and it, it's weird how many uh, people you work with that are that good and that kind. Like people make fun of Keanu Reeves sometimes, uh, or do impressions of him, and then you're with him every day for a month, and you you want to fight for him, fist fight for him. No, th- this is a kind, kind man a good guy that's trying to better himself all the time, constantly reading uh, Shakespeare and E.E. E. Cummings and Anne Sexton between takes while I'm goofing off, <laughs> trying to become more educated. Forrest Whitaker, kind. I've been very lucky, and I've worked with just beautiful people. Mm. I mean, I was in a movie where I, I got to die and, uh, you know, it, Jenna Rollins was in Playing by Heart, Sean Connery, Angelina Jolie, John Stewart, Jillian Anderson, and I got to die in Ellen Burstyn's arms. And that's the biggest one of my life because the whole scene was, I hope I can cry, and that's in the David Mamet book, True and False. If you're trying to make yourself cry, you're a fool. You either do or you don't. And if you don't cry, then that character didn't cry. Turn the page. Because if you're trying to make yourself cry, he writes, you're only having two thoughts. Either A, wow, I'm not crying yet, or B, I am really crying. Neither one of those thoughts are the work that you're supposed to be doing at that moment, being in a make-believe situation. Mm-hmm. So I had not read the book yet, and I wanted to cry because I had this great scene, this great speech, and I was really, aff- I needed to, I thought. I opened my eyes, and Ellen Burstyn was looking at me, Brian, and the 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 torment in her eyes, looking at her son dying, made me explode into tears. It was the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. Wow. And she was off camera. It was my scene, you know, when the cameras are just on me, she's mm-hmm. next to the camera. And I just, I'm supposed to wake up and begin speaking with her. And when I woke up and looked at Ellen Burstyn's eyes, it crushed my soul how beautiful and how tragic this all was. And that was just 
I don't know, one second mm-hmm. of this woman being completely present, looking at her child die, and it wrecked me. Wow. And I've never in my life since have ever uh, experienced that before. Right? I had no control over my emotion because of the person across from me. Hmm. Jeez. That's, that's incredible. There's a few. Yeah. Now, I've noticed in our conversation, you have mentioned Buddy here's, Hackett. Here's one you would, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but here's one you would never get. Paul Schultz, who's on uh, Nurse Jackie. Okay. And he was uh, the priest in The Sopranos. Mon- uh, Tony called him Monsignor Jughead because he was always hitting on Carmela. Mm-hmm. We did a movie in Calgary. We played uh, Brothers. Uh, it never got released. It was uh, Bill Murray. It was, it was the guy that did Mad Dog and Glory directed. It was Bill Murray, um, Melora Walters, who's gr- horribly underrated actress. Um, uh, just so James Spader, uh, Catherine O'Hara, but me and Paul Schultz for those two months in Calgary. I don't think I've ever had a better time in my life with this guy for two months straight, like the nonsense and the grab ass and the wrestling and goofing off and jokes and hanging out, going to the batting cages. It was a stunningly fun time. Jeez. Now, uh, like I was saying in our conversation, you've mentioned Buddy Hackett a couple of times. Was he one of your idols? No, I always just thought he was an old Jewish comic from a different era, like Freddie Roman and, uh, you know, Jackie Mason. I knew who he was. I knew his jokes. I thought he was funny. But I met him on Pauly, the movie Pauly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what happened was to do the voice of the bird, which is what I was auditioning for, um, and Buddy and I both wound up getting speaking parts as, pe- as our, you know, pe- acting parts as well. I didn't know what voice to do. I did an East Coast voice. I said, do something that you're not going to have to find every day. Just do something natural. I did like a real East Coast voice, but it was too low, and it sounded like um, Norton from the Honeymooners. And then I brought it up. Hot. It was like, hey. And then, I, hey, oh, and then I brought it higher, and I realized that I was doing Buddy Hackett. <laughs> and that was the voice of the bird. Marie, I can finally fly. So I'm in the audition, and I got it. I know I have this part, because I found this, like, who's got a Buddy Hackett voice? Nobody went in there and did that, right? So I'm sitting in the waiting room. They go, would you like the sides? Nope, that you want the script? Nope. All set. Cocky as can be. They say, uh, are you ready to go? I go, yeah. I get up to walk into the room. Guess who walks out? Buddy Hackett. That was the man who auditioned immediately before me. Oh, jeez. be the voice of the bird where I decided to do a Buddy Hackett. What are the odds of that? <laughs> the matrix and randomness of this universe is astounding. <laughs> and I don't believe everything happens for a reason. I hate that. It's self-medicating garbage uh, from the West. Nothing. No. Like, you know, I had a 20-year-old cousin that was killed by a drunk driver. I watched my aunt and uncle... Uh, fix a tie in a casket there's no greater good to what gain no and everything does not happen for a reason but everything does happen Mm -hmm. so what do you do from there after it happens now weird things like that have always happened to me my entire life but they've always been oddly fortunate and i've never wanted to question it because i'm a little freaked out it'll stop but buddy hackett we met on the set of paulie 
Now, now don't leave me hanging here, Jay. So what did you do when you went in? Did you do the buddy hacking in? I just stayed with it. I'm like, you did. (laughs) And then I got the part. And then we're on the set. I'm playing a guy and he's playing a pawn shop owner. And I'm trying to pawn a car stereo. I got a mustache and I'm like, you know, I'm like a little hoodlum. I walk in, I go, hey. And then between takes, Buddy Hackett says to me, you know, I'll never understand how you got a job doing me. (laughs) And I said, I think they wanted just a younger sounding you. And he said, fair enough. (laughs) At one point in that movie, Buddy Hackett, me, and the bird are in a scene at the same time. And if you close your eyes, you don't know who's talking. Now you you do a great Buddy Hackett impression. Uh, now of all the other impressions, oh, be in Nagasaki where the women chew the baki and the men say we're wacky. <laughs> you like that song? Would you like another shot, Brian? You look thirsty. <laughs> or maybe a Catholic. <laughs> now of all the ones you do do, uh, what's your favorite one to do? Um, I really like Pacino lately. And it, it's always different. The answer is always different. Okay. Pacino's fun now because, I, first of all, there's there's ones I must do where people get, like, angry. So I have to walk on stage, and if I don't want to do a big, long treat, I'll just walk out and slap my stomach as Tracy Morgan and go, Yeah, everybody's getting pregnant tonight. <laughs> yeah, what's up, Reno, Nevada? I'm going to leave babies, babies all over this. You know, I'll just do it up front. And they're, like, sort of sated for a moment. And then they move on, and then they forget that it happened. But they, they, I don't know, maybe they feel full. But if I do a meet and greet, there's always, how come you didn't do blank? It'll go as bizarre, Brian, as, hey, how come you didn't do the Barefoot Contessa from the Food Network? Like, I've heard that many times. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know, bro. I don't have a a story about her. I I only do impressions with stories that I've actually met. Mm -hmm. But I do do a Nina Gartner. Uh, don't tell Jeffrey. How bad could that be? Next, my friend TJ's coming over. We're going to get fresh chive out of the garden. <laughs> Turn it up a notch. Don't don't tell Jeffrey. Um, Pacino's fun because to explain to an audience that there's two separate Pacino voices and they don't realize it until you tell them. And then you get to do both. Because the Pacino that we all know is deep. Brian, are you a fool? <laughs> Did you not know that there are two of this voice, Brian? Because now follow me, if you can. When I was much younger, I had a very high voice. If you watch Dog Day Afternoon, all right. What's under the desk? A squirrel? What is that? Okay. Hey, we're Vietnam veterans. Killing don't mean nothing to us. All right. Who else has to go to the bathroom, huh? Okay. <laughs> Answer the phone, Sal. Any W. We play all the hits. Tell him. Tell him. And right around the movie heat, somebody drops a piano on my back. <laughs> Guys like you are my job, Benny Blanco from the Bronx. <laughs> There's two of them. Um, don't ever ask me about my business, Kay. You broke my heart, Fredo. You... If we did that today, you broke my heart. Did you know that? You broke it. In pieces in my hands. Where to go? On the floor, Fredo. 
See, you didn't know. You didn't realize that. <laughs> uh, I mean, now you have to go through your entire Pacino catalog in your brain and realize when did the actual switch? Because it used to sound like Tyne Daly from Cagney and Lacey. Right. <laughs> then all of a sudden he's Big Daddy from Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Yeah. Okay. All right, Sarge. Look, you got guys doing undercover work out there. And they're wearing black shoes and white socks. Oh! <laughs> it was the movie Insomnia with Robin Williams, I think, is the most underrated, should have been nominated in one Al Pacino performance. He's been awake for like a week trying mm-hmm. to chase the serial killer. Yep. I've been awake for seven days. And Robin Williams, the serial killer on a ferry, says to him, I'm not who you think I am. And Pacino can barely keep his eyes open. And he leans in and goes, I think you're a piece of shit. (laughs) Guys like you are my job. You think you're different? Because you painted her fucking nails? Come on. You're about as interesting to me as a pipe is to a fucking plumber. <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, how does nobody know this movie? Yeah, yeah Pacino's my favorite, and mm, it's always different. Yeah. Uh, walking, I get tired of, only because I've been doing it for literally 15 years. Wow. But when I'm like the most sort of cagey about it, those seem to be the nights... When people go that nut, the, the most nuts during the story, and I think to myself, just play the hits, man. Get over yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> A lot of the impressions are very similar. Like, uh, Harvey, I don't know if you watch Pulp Fiction, but Harvey Keitel has many parts in Tarantino movies. Brian. <laughs> You are not going to die from your wounds. It takes days. You're going to wish you were dead. But what you don't know is that I'm actually doing Colin Quinn at a different register. You didn't even know that. (laughs) You don't die from your wounds. You were shot. But you shot in the gut. It hurts. You're going to wish that you were dead. All right? But look, are you a doctor? Then you you admit that your medical uh, uh, opinion means nothing. All right, dummy? (laughs) A lot of them bump up. Clint Eastwood is also Alec Baldwin. You're marrying Nikki Cox? Yes. Well, then forget everything I just said. (laughs) JJ, Clint Eastwood told me my problem never was booze or drugs. Alec Baldwin, what's in your wallet? They're all different tricks, Mm -hmm. similarities. Every impression has a hook that you can hang your hat on if you get lost. Tracy, it's, yeah. And my wife pointed out, Nikki Cox, here we go again, the brilliance. (laughs) I don't know if you know this, but all your impressions, the hook you hang your hat on is something incredibly happy and jovial. I go, what do you mean? She goes, Tracy Morgan. Yeah! Al Pacino. Oh! (laughs) Christopher Walken. Yeah, of course. She goes, all your impressions, if you get lost, you got to circle back to some exclamation of joy. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I never realized that, and I'm thrilled you pointed that out to me. I'll take it. (laughs) Nice. Don't tell Jeffrey. <laughs> so you bounce off a lot of stuff from Nikki? Yes. 
But mo- honestly, it is truly mostly, it's not Lennon and McCartney. It's Lennon, uh, excuse me, it's McCartney in Wings, but she's McCartney. Mm-hmm. She is really, like, if she thinks of it, like, the other night we were sitting down and she said, do you want your next special to be more stand-up or do you want to go back out and do more of like a one-man show like at a, like and just have like a little run at a theater? I said, I definitely would want to do something more personal, like a one-man show. And we sat down and she said, I'm obs- I really like the phrase, take pride in your work. Like, just take pride in your work. And she said it a couple more times. And then before you know it, I don't know, about 40 minutes went by and we realized there's people that deal drugs that are on television on Drugs, Inc. that say that theirs is the best because they don't step on it. And that's why people always come to them. Like, they take pride in their work. There are homeless people that come up with the funniest possible signs because they realized need help, hungry, and I'm not mocking the homeless. It's my personal passion mm-hmm. and charity to get these people fed and up and running. Yeah. But it's amazing that people with Fortune 500 CEOs uh, and, and people with incredible jobs uh, can, can blow it and have no pride in their work. They don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, when you, when you look through the cracks, that's really what – but it was just do you want to do more of a one-man show? Yes. And then 40 minutes later – there was about three pages. That time I actually di- wrote, as she dictated, uh, of people that take pride in their work. We were in uh, Jacksonville for the Super Bowl. We first started dating. And the toilet overflowed after I made a mess. Not, <laughs> not you know, it was bad. <laughs> yeah. We'd been dating like a month. Well, we met after th- right after Thanksgiving, so the Super Bowl's in February. So two months, and we are on a bed in the fanciest hotel in Jacksonville, Florida, for the Super Bowl, and the floor is just, it's a running river of all the water, apparently, that's ever been in the hotel, mm. and everything that I did, and everything <laughs> anybody else did of the uh, of the same ilk, ick, ilk, <laughs> we're on the bed, like we're on a life raft with blue lips huddled together. <laughs> This man comes to the door, an enormous black man. He says, my name is Ricky Davis. I'll take care of it. My wife says, I had an accident. She, like, she was going to take the hit, you know? Mm-hmm. And I couldn't allow that. Two months in, uh, chivalry's not dead. I said, actually, Ricky Davis, I, I really, I, I, I don't know, I, play, I made a mess. This guy, made, he was a, a giant black man with like a weightlifting belt, like a, like a picture, like a janitor outfit with a weightlifting belt. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. In case he's got some boxes, he can do curls with in his free time. <laughs> when he was done, Brian, the room was cleaner than when we checked in. And he said, uh, I'll be right back. And he came back in like five seconds with a bottle, like a spray bottle, but not like with a label on it. It was like something like he made at home mm-hmm. and he sprayed it in the bathroom. And it smelled like lilacs, gardenia, lemon, with a faint hint of fart. <laughs> and that guy, in the middle of the night, Jacksonville, Florida, says, I gave you a little extra spray, give you a little bit of that uh, foofy foofy. Take care of you all. <laughs> he just walked out of the room. Yeah. Take pride in your work. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Ricky Dave. I remember his name. <laughs> I, I I remember his hair, everything about him. Yeah. Because we couldn't, it, the room looked better than when we checked in. Wow. Because of Ricky Davis. I gave you a little extra spray spray, give you some of that foofy foofy. And he walked out. <laughs> a home remedy. This guy had a home remedy. Yeah. <laughs> somebody from L.A. comes and clogs a toilet in Jacksonville. That's pride, man. Yes. That is what's up. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, so, Jake- yeah, looking to do a one-man show moving forward. We'll continue to do stand-up dates. More Stories Podcast has a free app. doesn't cost you a dime. M-O-H-R Stories. Mm-hmm. And your app, wherever you get your apps on your phone, your games, your Angry Birds, get the More Stories app. It's free. And jmore.com for the album. Support women. Buy the album. And uh, anybody reach out, jmore.com. I love uh, answering my own email. Brian, you, my friend, uh, that was effortless and fun, and I appreciate you being uh, so relaxed and cool and interviewer. Well done, sir. Well, I appreciate you doing it, Jay. I, I really do. One quick question, though. What's your favorite TV shows that you're watching now? Uh, American Horror Story. And my wife and I watched that. We love that Wes Bentley is uh, doing as well as he is. And American Horror Story. We love The Affair, the show The Affair. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, I, of course, Sundays, my favorite TV show is every single football game. Football, yeah. every, single, <laughs> every single UFC fight is my favorite show of all time. Huh. All right. What about movies? What's your favorite movies? Uh, uh, you know what? We watch all of them when we're in, cause we travel together. So whenever we're in a hotel, when we watch all the movies together, because we don't want to go to a theater ever and share it with anybody. So currently, no idea. Because it, they just go by in a blur. Right, yeah, yeah. But, well, you know what? James Franco just did a great one with uh, Jonah Hill, where he uh, took Jonah Hill's I- identity as a New York Times writer. Maybe it's called True Story. Okay. Do you know this at all? Uh, no, no, I'm not. I'm not that's amazing. Brian, that that's one. the thing about staying in hotels and being on the road a lot, is you see these movies, it's Jonah Hill and James Franco, and it's like, you've never even heard of it. Right. Like, so... 80% of movies, nobody even knows. You're I like, know. oh, look at this. Anthony Hopkins, Mark Ruffalo, uh, you know, whatever. Clive Owen, uh, this lady, that lady, that, and never got released. Never heard of it. Mm-hmm. it it's in, it's all the time. Uh, we just rewatched Adaptation, and we just yes. kind of couldn't fathom the level of greatness uh, that that was. So that's when we just watched all that jazz with Roy Scheidner. Uh, anything Fosse, we love. That's always on a loop in our home. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jay, everybody should go out and get happy and a lot because uh, it sounds like a great album, and uh, I appreciate you so much for doing this. Here's an assignment for everybody, ready? Go ahead. Watch. We've all seen Platoon, right? Mm-hmm. Watch it. You know when you see the movie Rope, and then you watch it again when you realize that two guys are gay, and it's a completely different movie? Mm-hmm. Watch Platoon, but watch Platoon knowing that Tom Berenger actually wants to die. Different movie. Okay. That's your assignment for the weekend. (laughs) I'll talk to you Monday, Brian. As Phil Collins would say, hello, I must be going. God bless you, brother. A big thank you going out to Jay Moore for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond. Uh, The guy, great guy. He was just so nice. Uh, we actually did the interview in two parts. He was uh, 
going into doing some voice recordings, and uh, he says, I'll call you back. And I sure. So we, we did more, and uh, more with more. <laughs> That's right. So anyways, uh, we want to thank Jay for doing that, and uh, we really do appreciate it. So we're almost getting into the holiday seasons. Of course, we just had our uh, review of uh, the gift guide, the things that you can get. And if you are on Facebook, be sure to like us. And if you are on iTunes, be sure to leave a review and be sure to tell a friend. That's the most important thing. That's the way we get more and more people listening to On Screen and Beyond. And if you have a suggestion for a guest, email it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and I'll see what I can do about getting that person on. So that's it. That's a wrap for this week. Until next week, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zumrak. Take care. Thank you.